I invite you to turn to Psalm 147 this morning. Psalm 147. A psalm of praise. A psalm of giving points of why we should praise. And a psalm of belonging, if you will. I'll start with verse 12, and then I'll read the whole psalm. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. It's one thing to give the commandment praise. It's another, as we'll see in this psalm, to give reasons, specific points of specific praise that we should be ready to render. Psalm 147, please follow along and I'll read. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Who covereth the heaven with clouds. Who prepareth rain for the earth. Who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food. And to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders. And filleth thee with the finest of wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow, and the waters flow. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. What a psalm. Praise ye the Lord, verse 1, the first phrase. That phrase, along with verse 7 and along with verse 12, tells us to praise Him and offer thanksgiving to Him. Every other verse in this psalm tells us why and gives us specific reasons that we should. You know, for the elect person, for the child of God, who sees these things in nature around us and understands with a unique perspective on the earth who is doing that and why. Right. That should give raise, that should give voice and give motivation 
and give instinctive reaction to praise and give thanksgiving to the author of those actions. Verse 1, praise, note its profit, note note its pleasure, and note its sheer appropriateness. It makes sense. It's comely to praise. It is pleasant for the child of God to render those praises. We note that it's reasonable. It's reasonable to praise Him. We note that uh, it is a reasonable service. We think through our lives and note that there's many ways that we interact with others and with the Lord. And you may think of separate categories in which we can praise the Lord. We can praise Him by our words, by our speech. We can praise Him by song. We can praise Him by living our life like He tells us to. We can praise Him as individuals directly to God. We can praise Him to someone else and with someone else, such as a spouse or a friend. We can praise Him in the great congregation as we are today. Several ways and several means and several situations, all of which should be used primarily to render praise to God. Note verse 2. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. Note that the Lord's primary intent and work in this psalm is to prepare himself a people, a peculiar people, and a group of folks in this world to render praise and worship to him appropriately. He builds us up. This is the congregation in this in this specific city that he has built up, fit and joined together in unity for this purpose. Note who makes up the group that he brings together. The outcasts of Israel, the broken in heart, the wounded. Those are the folks that he brings together to make up his unique band of praiseworthy saints. Can you believe that? Well, I guess you can, like I can, as face answers to face and water, I know that you're an outcast because I'm an outcast. And that makes us fit in the Lord's congregation. Not many mighty, not many noble. Verses 3 and 4. Note the combination of the Lord's abilities. Not only is He a tender, the most tender, capable, caring nurse, as a father or as a mother that binds up wounds and heals the broken in heart in a very one-on-one and personal, intimate way. But in the very next verse, his ability reaches even to create and to order and to guide the stars. You know, we uh, a quick Google search will tell us that Ptolemy was the first guy back around the time, shortly after the Jesus was here, that cataloged the stars. He didn't even have a telescope. He had an isolating scope, just a tube, you know, like a paper towel holder mounted that he could look at each star and decide where it was and catalog what it was, where it was and its brightness. And he cataloged 1,028 stars in that way with his limited abilities. We can see much more nowadays. But imagine the being that created those stars, put them there, and calls them by names and doesn't have to have a piece of paper to remember it. And he does that with the same ability and the same attention to detail and the same guiding force as he heals your broken heart. Amazing. Who is like unto our God? Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Note verse 6. The Lord lifteth up the meek, but he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Note here, first mentioned this psalm, the discrimination of God. His ability to choose between the objects of his punishment 
and the objects of his affection. He is no respecter of persons. His decisions are based on his criteria. In the world, and from the world's perspective, the world wants the meek to be cast down and the wicked to be lifted up. But you know, man proposes and God disposes. He is the authoritative decider who proactively acts and judges among men. Verses 8 and 9. Who covereth the heaven with clouds, prepares rain. We've seen a good bit of that lately. Who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains where no man could ever have planted anything. He giveth the beast to his food and the young ravens which cry. You know, you might tell a child who brings in a bug or something that he's caught out in the garden or in the yard and puts him in a cage. What's likely to happen if you bring something out from nature and put it in a cage that you've made? He's likely to die. We are unable to care for a natural creature as well as the Lord is out in nature. So before you go to bed, you might, or after a day or two, you might say, well, let him go so he can live. (laughs) Because the Lord takes care of his creatures and his creation far better than we can. I'll draw this conclusion. If we have the understanding to see his order, his control, his wisdom, his goodness, his mercy, and his stability in the natural creation around us, why do we insist on resisting his will and questioning his will in our own lives, in our own hearts? Why do we have that fight back to push against and to resist when everywhere we see, we see nothing but goodness? Verse 10 and 11 tell us, give us a striking thought that this God, it is possible that not only can this God be at peace with a man, but God can actually find joy and pleasure in his relationship with a man. And he tells us that it's not his strength of any of his creatures, including man. Right. It's fear and hope from us yes. Yes. from which he derives great pleasure. Now, regardless of the position of, of our heart, shouldn't it be obvious to any of us that if we can understand what makes this God happy, we ought to do it whether we want to or not. That ought to be the first thing when we get up in the morning. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Fear. But we also hope in his mercy because we have this incredible relationship in a personal, intimate way. He has bound up our wounds. He has drawn us into this congregation and he showered nothing but goodness and mercy on us. It's chased us down for our entire life. What a pleasure to render praise and thanksgiving to him. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God. O Zion. Verses 13 through 19. Let your eyes scan down quickly as I read the verbs in here. He hath strengthened. He hath blessed. He maketh peace. He filleth. He sendeth forth commandment. He giveth snow. He scattereth. He casteth. He sendeth. And verse 19 the capstone, the icing, the cumulative, the best, he showeth. In those ways, in all those action verbs, we see the Lord actively deciding among men and actively deciding among creation what he is going to do. No man can stay his hand or resist his will or say, what doest thou? We may think that we want to at times, and many of the wicked think they can get away with it at times. No one can. He sovereignly disposes. The Lord is the first great cause 
of everything. Yes. Verse 19 and 20. He showeth his word unto Jacob and his statutes and judgments to Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. We note here the clear, unique, and exclusive knowledge of God. It's not universal, even though the ability to witness his creation and the effects of God are universal. But that knowledge that he exists and we owe him something and that he loves certain of his children and he's given us his word to tell us how to live, that is not universal. That is specifically given to some people. There is a clear line of delineation between the light in Israel and the darkness in Egypt. Amen. This discriminating election is the loudest call for adoration that I'm aware of. I end again with verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. This incredible being is yours. Amen. Thy God. Amen. Amen. Amen.